All right, so uh, welcome to Crazy Makers. One of the things that I always say is uh, if you can identify with these people, you're either identifying with it as, okay, I know that person, or you recognize that you are, are that person a little bit. And so that, there's kind of a multidimensional aspect to Crazy Makers. Either you know one or you, know, you are one. So um, today we're going to be talking about people that are needy. Now, uh, first week we talked about sort of the little dictators of life, the demanding, the controlling people. They're the type of folks that just want to situate you in their world. Uh, so the second week, Bethany walked us through motherhood and the challenges of dealing with those little crazy makers. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, critical people, disapproving critical people, and those are the folks that have that gift of fault finding, uh, and maybe you know some people. Uh, I am I, one of those people, so if you need uh, somebody to analyze your faults, I can do that for you for free. And, uh, but today, we're going to ask the question, how do we love the people that can be overly needy? How do, how do we love and take care of them in a way um, that, uh, that they need a little extra help. Do you know some people like that? Uh, you know, when you see them, you know that, hey, that conversation, that's going to take a little bit longer, right? That uh, they kind of dominate. The, have you ever noticed that there's certain people that will tell you the same story over and over again? They cycle this narrative. Anytime you talk to them, you just know exactly what they're going to tell you. And, and you can just kind of, you know, you want to wedge in there a little bit and say, hey, you, know, you, already, you already mentioned that to me, uh, but they'll tell you that story. Sometimes they're a little negative uh, and often are kind of on the victim end of the spectrum. Uh, when, you, when you do something for them, sometimes it's not enough. You know, they, they're looking for more. You try to give uh, and they want more, they need more. And it could be somebody that you're thinking about as maybe a, a relative or a loved one, somebody that you work with. Uh, maybe it's the person sitting next to you, so don't nudge them or anything like that. Uh, maybe it's sort of, you know, just a guy in your growth group who uh, doesn't, doesn't seem to have a lot of friends. Uh, maybe somebody uh, in your life who just needs money. Uh, they need more money. They're always needing money, um, and, and they're asking for it. Maybe it's an insecure person at your office, somebody that's, you know, that, that person that's always fishing for compliments, you know? you know? You ever met that person? Uh, or just sort of the, the hot mess kind of person that's, uh, you know, always, they're always on that struggle bus, you know? They're just, they need help. And, uh, you know, we, this is something, and this is something that we can relate to because we all know these types of people. But the question is this, uh, as followers of Jesus Christ, uh, we are always called to help and we do help. We do reach out. And we are the type of people, I think, as a church as a whole, who are reflexively, um, we're wired to respond because Jesus wants us to meet needs. He wants us to do something, not just to, you know, feel, feel the need, but to actually act upon it. And so we do. But oftentimes it doesn't seem like we do enough. And then we, we kind of, if we pull back from a need, we, we tend to feel a little guilty about it. And if we pull back in the wrong way, you know, at the wrong time, it can actually hurt somebody. It can hurt relationships. And so this, it's more complex than it might seem. Just uh, how do you deal with needy people? And so today, I hope to kind of unpack it a little bit and give you sort of a practical framework so that with those type of people, you can, you can um, meet their needs in a way that will actually help and not hurt them. So the question today is, how do we love those who are always in need with the way, in a way that does actually help 
but not hurt them. So we want to be helpful. We want to, we want to serve and meet needs, but in the right way, in, in, a, in a way that's correct and helpful and not in a hurtful way. And so I want to kind of cover three different things that I think will serve, serve as like a, a prop, maybe a tripod in which we can lay this idea of serving uh, very difficult or needy people. So the first thing I would mention is this. The Bible talks about, in a, in a couple of different really poignant ways, about giving. And when we give, uh, we want to give strategically. And so most of the time, I think that when we give uh, of ourselves and when we serve, we, we do it more emotionally. We do it out of response or sort of a, out of a feeling. And that's fine. It's sort of an entry point into meeting a need. But, but it's sort of reactionary based. It's, we just see a need and we want to react. And, and serve the need. And so the, the first thing that we do is just the convenient thing. We, we give whatever they're asking. We serve in the way that they express their need. And it, it just kind of makes us feel better sometimes when we do that, when we help them. We emotionally engage. It, it, ha- it serves to sort of relieve our guilt, and we feel better about it. But the question is, did what we do, was it effective? Was it actually helpful? And, and I think so we need to ask this question, what do they really need? What will genuinely help people, not just in the moment, but long-term, right? Because in the moment, sometimes the need is very immediate, and we respond emotionally to that. But long-term, you know, what we're, what we're doing could be a destructive pattern. So we're going to look at that today. And we're going to talk about what it means to be prayerful, because we want to act prayerfully and strategically to these needs. So let's look at Peter and John today. They're walking by the temple gate in Acts 3. And so if you want to turn to Acts chapter 3, we're going to look at uh, the the first few verses of that chapter. And Peter and John are walking by the temple gates, and uh, and we're going to to walk with them and see what they see. So it says in verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms, which is just money, to ask alms of those entering in uh, to the temple. And then seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, uh, he asked to receive alms. And so, so first of all, let me just say this. Like the guy had a very, very serious need. He had a need to walk, but he was, he was actually lame from birth. So he was physically disabled and his family members every day would, would bring him and carry him down to the gate so, so that he could beg. That was, there wasn't a social safety net in those days. And so, you know, th- he relied on the generosity of people to get him through the day. And, and it wasn't, he wasn't doing a bad thing. He was, he was, it was a survival mechanism. Like he, this was, this was the way that he could survive. And so, um, so we don't know whether it was friends or family members, but somebody would bring him generously to the, to the temple courts, and uh, he would sit there by the gate every day and, and ask for, for alms. And so people would give him whatever they could, um, usually money, but maybe oftentimes other gifts. And so in verse 4, we pick it up, and Peter directed his gaze at him. Peter looked at him. He, he got eye contact. He got personal. And I think this is a really important thing. So, you know, why, why, did the, why does the Bible t- tell us certain things? So they, the Bible tells us that Peter fixed his gaze on the guy. He looked at him. He got personal with him. 
And he, he probably got down on his level a little bit, and he, as did John, and, he, and, they, and then he said, look at us. So, you know, I, I'm interested in you as a person. And then um, I, I would imagine that, uh, that this would have been a little weird because, I'm, you know, it would be easy just to kind of walk by this guy. You see him all the time and just toss him, uh, you know, some money. Just toss him some cash. And, but here is Peter and John, and they're down looking at him. They care about him as a person. And then, um, and then he fixed his attention on them. He looked back at them expecting to receive something. So now there's going to be an exchange here, and he's really excited because why would you get down on my level? Why would you look at me unless you sort of had like a big gift? And, you were, and so he's probably getting pretty excited because, you know, he knows what's coming. He's going to the big payoff. And, and so he's, he's definitely expecting something. And what he knew is in life that if you ask long enough and you, and you get out there consistently and persistently, that there's going to be, uh, you know, somebody will emotionally respond. Somebody is going to give you what you're asking for even if what you're asking for isn't exactly what you need. And so every day, he's just repeating this process. And, and sometimes what we do is easy. You know, if we see a need, it's so easy to write a check. It's so easy to just kind of throw money at the situation. But sometimes you have to get up and get in your car and go serve someone and go do something and, and be there for them and get into their face and actually see them. And so it would have been easy just to give them money. And on, on, his way, on our way to feeling emotionally better, it's certainly easy to do that. But they didn't respond emotionally. They were led by the Spirit and, and to give him what he needed. And this next, this next scripture is so key because it's, it's got to be the most disappointing letdown moment for this dude, right? He is sitting there by the side of the road. And in verse 6, Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but... Okay, right there, you know... Okay, are you just going to give me a sandwich, right? What, it, what are you not able to give me? You don't have what I really want. Like, okay, you're on my level. Are you going to try to win me over to some perspective? Are you going are, are to give me a tract? Are you gonna, trying to proselytize me? Or like, what, what are, now what are we going to do here that you're looking at me, silver and gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. You know, the keys to my new car. No, I mean, you know, so, so like what I do have, I give you. What is he going to give me? And then he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And then they took him, they got down and they took him by the right hand and they raised him up. They lifted him up. They touched him physically and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Now, this was unexpected. This day was a big day for him. And let's not just read through the Bible and go, yeah, this is just another story. Like for this guy, that's not just another story. His legs, his arms, his feet. Now, why is the story in the Bible? Well, it's in there for several reasons. Always when there's healing, it's to give glory to God. It's to show that God can do the unexpected. God can do what you had never imagined that he could do in, a, in an incredible moment, in a, in a surprising moment, he's able to walk. Uh, but there is something else going on here, and that is the way that the need was met. Now, I remember uh, walking down to a grocery store. I was having a bad day dealing with some stuff 
at the office. This is about six years ago. And uh, some people at my office were, you know, they, they were really being very difficult with me. And I was thinking about, you know, I was praying to Jesus. I was like, you know, let me see them for the, the humanity that they are and not just the big pain in the butt that they were to me at that moment. So I was really praying just so that I could kind of just respond in a spiritual way in a very difficult relationship. And uh, so I'd been thinking about that all day, and I just was at the grocery store, and all of a sudden, you know, there was this homeless guy. It's in the middle of Redmond, Washington, a stone's throw from, like, seriously, the richest people on planet Earth. And there's this homeless guy by a QFC grocery store, and he catches my attention, and he asks me, hey, man, do you have, like, you know, some money that you could spare? And that's not uncommon, by the way. And so, uh, I, so I said, you know, actually, I don't have any cash. And then at that moment, some, somewhere in, like, in just Jesus reminded me, you know, don't see him for just what you're seeing. Like, see the humanity there. See that he's a real person. He's not a project. He's not, you know, there's, there's a soul there. And, you know, care about that soul. And so uh, I, I might have told this story before, but I, I just said, like, I don't have any cash, but I, I will do this. Like, why don't you just come with me inside the grocery store and I'll buy you whatever you need. Like, literally, you just, if you think about it, I will get it for you, you know, within reason and stuff. So, you know, and, and so he walks in and he's like, oh, I'll take a toothbrush and I had a toothpaste and dental floss and all that stuff. And like, he's really being practical and, you know, and, and he's trying to save me money and everything. So he's really working with me and we're getting him, like the grocery cart is starting to fill up a little bit and, and he's asking for various things. And then he, he stops, he's like, hey, uh, maybe I'm pushing this too much, but can you give me this trail mix? And I'm like, oh, sure, you know, get, some, get yourself some trail mix and stuff. And then, so we get in, we check out and everything and get outside. And he says, he says, man, that was incredible. I can't believe that you did that. And he's thanked me a lot. And he said, you know, if you, um, if you ever happen to like stop by, this is where I sleep and we're under these tarps and stuff. But I sure wish I had a tent because sometimes the water rolls in under the tarp. And uh, so then I went and got him a tent and I actually walked it out there and, and found him. And it was really an interesting situation. Lots of other people there. And uh, what I realized, and actually at that day when I checked him out and we got outside, I prayed with him. I learned his name, and I realized that he has a story, and that he was a real, like, human. I begin to see him not as just the homeless guy, right? And not just as a label, but as a person. And so it changed me a lot, and, and, uh, and, I, and I realized that he had some needs that he wasn't, he was just saying, like, I want money. And, and, and you know what? It's not up to me to say, like, what he was going to go spend his money on. You know, maybe he would have gone in and bought the same things that I just got for him, but I doubt it. And so, you know, what, what we were able to do is, is meet his needs in a different way. And so you need to have the wisdom and the love to give what was needed. And this is, this is James and John, or Peter and, and uh, John, and, and that's what they're doing. So, I mean, if somebody says, for example, you know, hey, uh, I need $300 for a car payment. I really need that. You know, you may, and, and you, you just see, like, like they just bought a new Apple Watch and a pair of Yeezys and they're staying up like playing Fortnite all night long and instead of getting a job and they're just sitting on their couch, you know, maybe, maybe the best thing to do is to encourage that person to see what God sees in them so that they could do more and be more of who they are in Christ. And so the, maybe the best thing isn't to give them the $300 to pay off their, their car loan, but it's to take care of yourself. And so you, if you want more time, if you want more energy, if you want more ability to serve, you need to pray and ask God, what are, what are the ways in which I can use Holy Spirit wisdom to meet real needs? And so I'm not going to just give you what you want, is what this story is telling us. God will give you, give 
give me the wisdom to do what is right. And so how did, how did Peter and John know that this is what the guy needed? He really needed, he really needed to get up and walk. And um, another story that I, and this one, oh man, I'm sort of, I, I wrestled with whether I wanted to tell this or not. I'm not really proud of this story or not, but, uh, but I think it illustrates part of what I'm trying to say. And uh, so I'm going to go ahead and tell it to you. So and there was a family in our church um, several years ago before we came out to Moscow. So I know that family isn't here anymore. But um, they were going through some really hard times. The, the guy had lost his job and the, the dad had lost his job. He had two little girls. And, uh, and, and we knew because it was on the elder board that they were struggling. They were really hurting. And so uh, we, we got together um, a few gifts for the family just in, around Christmas time. And we knew that you know, this was going to be the only Christmas presents that we would be able to give them. And so we brought them over. We brought a little tree, had some, you know, decorations on it. And we, we walked it in and we were at least kind of surprised them. And everybody was there and we started handing out the gifts and the kids were really excited. And we were just kind of feeling really good about the situation, and, you know, plugged in the tree for them and took some pictures. And then I just began to notice something. I noticed that, that the dad was, was feeling really uncomfortable. And that and actually, he was sort of like hanging his head a little bit, like, you know, not, he wasn't making eye contact anymore. And he wasn't feeling very good about the situation. And I realized, it suddenly hit me that what I was doing was, instead of honoring that family, I was dishonoring the dad. I was, I was the rescuer. I was coming in to rescue them, to give them the, the Christmas presents. And what, I don't know what would have been better, but I mean, obviously, like, I could have maybe taken the dad aside and said, like, what can you do? And if you can do that, like, we'll match it, and we're going to help you, and like, maybe prepare it in advance so that it was dad bringing the gifts in, or we could have just done something else. And I really feel that uh, what he needed was dignity, and what we gave him were toys, toys for his family. And, uh, you know, I think that we have to get this right. We have to really ask ourselves, what is the real need and are we doing it in the right way? And so use my story as an example of sometimes what you feel like is the best way to meet a need isn't the best way. And we'll end up dishonoring the situation and maybe making it quite a bit worse. So number one is we need to uh, realize that we, we are going to serve in the right way, in a way that helps and not hurts. Number two is we serve wisely. We serve wisely. And this one is all about the rhythm of filling ourselves up. Look at the way that Jesus cared for people. Jesus was amazing. He served selflessly. He gave generously. He loved authentically. Jesus was somebody that taught faithfully. He was always giving, always pouring out of himself. But then what he would do is he would step off of whatever situation he was in. He would reconnect with God and he would recharge spiritually and then go serve again. You see this rhythm over and over again, serving out of a full cup not an empty one. In order to keep giving out and to keep serving and to keep giving and meeting needs, you need to stop and fill back up. It's so important, so critical that you do that. In Mark chapter 1, we see this picture of Jesus around verse 35, and it says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate, lonely place, far from anybody, far from people. Just imagine it, a lonely place, a desolate place. And he did what? There he prayed. He spent some time with, with his father. And then Simon and those were, were with him, were, they started searching for him. And, and, and so what I'm about to tell you 
is exactly what happens to moms who go into the bathroom to, for a break with, from their kids. It is. And I, am I talking to any of you guys, any of you moms who know exactly what I mean? You know, it's like, Jesus, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, we need you. You know, does that sound familiar? In verse 37, and then they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. <laughs> Moms, you totally can relate to that, right? So you go into the bathroom, and you shut the door. It's, you're in this moment of privacy. You're trying to create a little space, a little, a little alone time. And the next thing you know, Mom, you know, Mom, where are you? You're trying to be, so you're quiet, and you don't dare breathe. You just, you don't dare breathe out loud. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, there's like these little fingers coming up under the door. <laughs> don't say anything. Mom, everyone's looking for you. And I just, I really picture that's what Jesus was like. He's like, he's trying to get away. He's going to a desolate place. He's trying to be alone. And then, and then Peter, Peter's like, Jesus, Jesus, where are you? And then, and then they, he's like, everyone is looking for you. Everybody needs you. Isn't that, you know, kind of, isn't it, remember what they tell you on an airplane? It's like, you know, if the, if the cabin should lose pressure and the oxygen masks fall down, you know, so you put the mask on you first and then on your kids. And, and because the idea is that you can't get someone else healthy unless you have a flow of oxygen to yourself. So take care of yourself first and then you can get other people healthy. And so the, the, this is really key. You know, you have to understand your rhythms of filling back up. Emptying yourself out and serving also requires that you, you don't just empty yourself, that you have moments where you fill back up again. And so you have to do that. You, if you, so I love this. The, the idea is that if you can't if, if you can't say yes often, you, 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 you don't say no if you don't say no occasionally. You can't say yes often enough if you don't say no occasionally. Like, no, I can't do that. No, I can't meet every need. I've got to budget myself out. I have limited energy. And it's so, so important to realize that because the, the, we, are, we tend to be uh, reflexive meters of needs. So we just want to like, yes, okay, I'll do that. Yes, I'll meet you there. Yes, you can borrow. Yes, you can have. You can have my time. You can have my energy. And sometimes we just pour ourselves out and we've got nothing left. Are you that type of person sometimes where you feel like your kids and your church and your, and your family and everybody just sort of takes it all out of you and you're just left with like, oh, I've got nothing. And then you feel so guilty if you do say no. But realize that you're going to be the most effective if you take time for yourself and replenish, replenish your vessel. You know, get alone with God. That's what Jesus did. And it's so important. So you need to find that desolate place. Maybe it's a bathroom. Maybe it's a walk with the dog. Maybe it's a quiet moment where you've got a babysitter lined up or you've got some friends that will watch your kids or mom and dad. And then you can be alone with Jesus. It's so important to do that. Number three, we're going to trust completely. So we are going to serve wisely, but we are going to trust completely. It's, this one is, I just want to stop for a second and say this. It's so dangerous for you to even think that you are someone's answer. It's so dangerous that you are the source of meeting someone's needs. The, the fact is, is that in Christ, we're not even that necessary. 
or not even that necessary. You are not someone else's answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. You are simply a delivery system. He is the power. And so it's so dangerous to ever think that I am the answer for someone else. No, you're not. You are a delivery system for the power of Jesus in someone's life. And so if you think that God needs you to fix everyone else, listen, if you think that God needs you to fix everyone else, your God is way, way too small. God is so much bigger. He doesn't need you. You are just simply, you need to be an available delivery system for the power of God in your life to help other people out. That's such a change of thinking because I think sometimes we think, you know, I, I love the feeling when somebody else is relying upon me. No, I, you, what you, that's the wrong way to look at it. You know what? You, you're, you're stewarding a relationship or an opportunity to meet someone else's need because God has given you that. And the power of the gospel is enough to meet those needs. You might actually be short-circuiting what God was already doing because you keep rescuing somebody. You keep setting up these situations, but they're intercepting the natural consequences that, that in life that is, you know, the, the principle of you will reap what you sow. And so, in other words, that you keep rescuing and you keep stopping and intervening and, and you know, because you want to be the rescuer, right, instead of Jesus. And so, when he sets up these natural consequences uh, in, in life and you keep stopping, and so let me just, Paul said it this way in Galatians 6, he said it better than I can. It says, he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal uh, life. And so the principle there is if we do what is right, if we walk faithfully and we help prayerfully, then we do trust the consequences. Now, am I saying, by the way, that you just let somebody fail in life and you just let them self-destruct without any intervention or any attempt to stand in the way? I'm not saying that at all. But there are times, and you need to ask, when is the time to sort of let someone go out and figure it out on their own? I think the parable of the prodigal son, and if you know this one, most of you do, um, it, it's, it's an example of that. The son goes out what does he do? The, the prodigal son goes out and he breaks his father's heart. He dishonors every one of the family's values. Um, and, and the dad is broken up about it. He prayed every day. He hoped constantly. He prayed that his son would return. But you know, one thing that, that he never did is he never went out and rescued the son. He never went and found the pig farm. He never went and grabbed the son and said, you know, come on back. The son had to wake up one day and realize that he would be better off with the dad as a servant than being in this, in this place that he was in, totally broken, totally destroyed. And so, so the dad almost had to say like, hey, I'm going to let him, eat, let him hang out in the pig pen for a while. And that's exactly what happened. But when, when the son found that it wasn't working very well, and, and he's, he's like, I'm going to go back and be with my dad. Rescuing is not always healing. It's not always helping. It's not always assisting. Rescuing, now, mom and dad, mom, I'm talking to you. Dad, I'm talking to you. Because so, sometimes it's hard to make that, that distinction. Sometimes it's hard to say, you know, that my kid needs to be able to fail a little bit and to... to, to 
you know, to fall down on their own. That's how they learn. They learn to mitigate against their own, you know, I'm not talking about letting them play out in the street, but I am saying that there are certain things that they need to do sometimes to, to, to fail in, in life in order, to, in order to succeed and be healthy. And so it sounds very cruel, but it can be a very loving thing to do if it's done right. And the, the idea is, is that we're helping from a posture of humility but not arrogance. So it's not, I am here to meet your needs. I'm here to rescue you. You know, and, and, and another thing that I wanted to say too is that it's, it's not that you don't want to be like um, the, the type of person that looks at people as projects, right? You know, oh, you're a project person. You're, you're this number to me. You're, you're, no, you're disconnected. You're just somebody that, you're a case to me. You don't, people don't need a project because they're, they're people. They're humans. They're, they have a history and a story, and they have loves and needs, and so we need to connect with them like Peter and John did. And ultimately, um, you're going to realize that someday, you know, you could be that person in need as well. Um, one of the things that I, I remember visiting, I've visited several developing nations, is that, um, you know, you look around and you see tons of, of what you perceive to be need everywhere, but once you get to know people, you know, like visiting Africa, I I just really remember, like, they were, they were giving me something that I did not have. And that was this real amazing, like, contentment. I, I, w- I was just blown away and super content um, at their contentedness. And I, and, I, and I realized that even though I had maybe some, you know, some material things to give them, that they had a lot to give me as well. So it's this idea of mutual needs. We point each other to Jesus. We point everything to Jesus because he is the one that really meets our needs. And so whether you're coming from physical or spiritual needs, there's a lot that we can do in life to connect with each other. And so the idea is that I help you in this moment and then you lift me up in, an, in another moment and then we meet each other's mutual needs. Psalm 70 uh, verse 4 says it like this, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. <clears throat> may those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. But I, I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. Listen to me, O God. You are my help and my, re- my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. I, I am poor and I am needy. And so this is the thing. It's like you realize that you are in the presence of a loving God, that we are equally broken, equally needy, just in different ways. That when the world looks on, so this is one thing I'm, I'm a firm believer on. When the world looks on to the church and they see how we behave, they're not going to be blown away by our amazing theology, right? Oh, boy, those people have it all together. They have a perfect theology. They're not even going to be blown away sort of with our contemporary style of worship, but they're going to be blown away by the love that we have for one another. That we don't, we're not, we exist on this playing field of equal need and that we all depend upon Jesus. And it's love that connects us and it's the language of love lived out in authenticity in relationships across our community that make the impact. So the best witness that we have in meeting needs is always love. If we lead in love, we will want to meet needs. We will want to engage at a level that um, is real and powerful. And, and man, I want to see a church that is out in this community serving and giving and loving, filling up our tanks 
in prayer, but doing radically like adventurous things for God, meeting needs that we never anticipated before because of love, because of the transforming power of love. That's what's compelling about the church. The compelling thing about the church is in our political positions. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's love in action. It's love connecting with real people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Jesus, that you are the example of that sacrificial love, that love in action, that love that did something, that love that just didn't pass by people and ignore them, but that got down on their level. Lord, you healed and continue to heal. You transformed lives when you were here on earth, and you continue to transform lives through your church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Even today, God, changing lives, changing marriages, changing relationships, meeting needs. Lord, help us to be a people that give, that give wisely, that give in the right way. Help us to be a people that are compassionate and serve, but also know when to fill our own buckets so that we can serve um, with endurance. Lord, and also help us to be a people that lead with love and that trust you, God, and trust your outcome and not our own ability. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.